I'm Therese Van Ryn, Global Director of Public Relations at Zebra Technologies, and I'm excited to be joined today by retail expert and avid philanthropist Greg Busick. Greg is founder and president of IHL Group, a retail analyst and consulting firm. He has more than 25 years of experience in retail market analysis, business planning, product development, and consulting with Fortune 500 companies. Along with his retail expertise, Greg is also one of the founders of the Retail Orphan Initiative, also known as Retail ROI, a foundation dedicated to helping orphaned children around the world. Today, he's going to share some of his most inspired moments and key learnings working in both the retail industry and philanthropy, as well as his advice on how businesses and individuals can do well by doing good by working with nonprofits. Greg, thank you so much for speaking with us today. Therese, it's a pleasure to be with you today. Thanks for having me. You bet. You bet. Greg, you run one of the most influential global advisory firms specializing in technology for the retail industry. I'm wondering, what inspired you to start your own consulting firm? Well, uh, just to be uh, blunt, I needed a job. I, I got <laughs> fired from my previous job. Um, although I was very successful as a product manager and very fortunate there, I wasn't a very good product manager and, um, and I got fired from my job and needed a job and had a friend who gave me an opportunity to, uh, do some consulting work for him and, uh, as a start. And then I saw the opportunity basically that as a product manager, I never saw anybody in the industry from an analyst firm that would tell me how the market would change with my new product coming into the market. So we set ourselves up to be a company that could show, hey, this is what we think is realistic for you to be able to attain with a new product launch in the marketplace. And over time, those those people we worked with, they grew up into management positions over the years. And so as their influence grew, our relationships and influence grew as well. Nice. Very nice. What new perspectives about the retail industry have you gained since becoming a consultant? I'm curious, yeah. was there anything you were surprised to learn? Yeah, very, very, uh, thing. There's a, there's a difference between consultant and analyst. Who knew? Um, <laughs> you know, when I was listed as a consultant, I had to beg to get into all the parties and stuff. And, uh, in 2001, uh, RIS News asked us to start doing their store system study, which comes out every January at NRF show. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, I would the term people started using was calling me an analyst instead of a consultant. Sure. And next thing I knew, I was getting invited to all the parties instead <laughs> of having to beg and to go to them. So that was that was number one. It became uh, a lot more fun to go to uh, NRF show. Um, but a lot of different things surprised me. Um, and just things to admire is the amount of work and the amount of things that uh, that retailers in particular get done with limited amount of budget as well as um, limited number of personnel to get things done. We we like to criticize a lot of things when we go in shopping, um, but uh, very, very few of us realize kind of what the shoestring budget is for a lot of these guys doing things. And that really surprised me um, in, in our industry versus several others. Um, typically, insurance banking they're spending three to four times um the percentage of in of of revenue on their it systems and uh versus the typical retailer so that really surprised me um and then just uh, just how efficient uh, the supply chains are uh in retail when you compare it to any other industry 
along the way. Um, I always joke that Walmart, Target, Kroger, and Home Depot and Lowe's should take over FEMA because they're all uh, strategically positioned in all these natural disasters and can do it a lot faster and better um, than most of them. So. Mm-hmm. Greg, along with your experience in the retail industry, you are also highly praised for your nonprofit work. What inspired you to combine your retail expertise with your passion for volunteerism to create retail ROI? Yeah, for me, it's been it's been quite a spiritual journey, quite frankly, um, that ended up, uh, you know, serendipitously turning into a a life calling um, that I thought I was going to do under somebody, but ended up taking the lead. So I, long story short, uh, had started an, an orphan care ministry um, in our church after after a conference where uh, somebody inspired me with a, a Winston Churchill quote. Uh, that quote was, there comes into the life of every man a cause which with which he is uniquely suited. What a pity if that moment finds him unwilling or unprepared for that which may become his finest hour. Mm-hmm. And uh, for me, that's what grabbed my heart and said, uh, you know, your your greatest thing is going to be related to orphan care and adoption in some way. And on the day of Lehman Brothers going under, um, we had Oracle Open World was happening, and I was introduced to a gentleman by the name of Paul Singer. And Paul was the chief information officer for Super Value, but previously for Target. And Paul was a giant in our industry. He uh, he took over on the adoption side. He took over for Dave Thomas of Wendy's lobbying Congress for funds for adoption and foster kids. And he had started numerous charities. And we met and said, wouldn't it be great to do something together? Um, you know, where we could do it in the industry where, you know, it's a dog eat dog world. Um, all these vendors, it's a lot of mergers and acquisitions happening at the time and not unlike today. And, uh, we thought, gosh, it would be really great if we could, instead of just competing against each other, we could pull our resources together and help kids. Uh, we all go to the same trade shows. We all know each other. We're all friends, but we compete with each other. Let's use our skill sets to make a difference. And we left there. And uh, about six weeks later, we actually had a full-fledged charity. Uh, myself, Paul, and uh, Mark Milstein uh, each threw in $3,000 to open open the charity. And uh, the next Monday, I get a call from Paul saying, "I, you know, I just got a call from the doctor. I have a brain tumor. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and he went in to have surgery, and, and unfortunately, he never regained the ability to speak, um, think critically after that. And so I, it, it just fell to me to lead. So I felt like, uh, you know, the least qualified person uh, to do it. And um, and not too long after that, we, you know, we were bleeding money at this point, and we're like, hey, we need to we need to figure out how to raise money. What do we know how to do? Mm-hmm. And, um, and so that's kind of where it started, um, but it's kind of blossomed because of friends and, and introductions and things that there's really three goals of retail ROI. One, we want to raise awareness that there's about 150 million children that are orphaned and about 400 million children worldwide that are in vulnerable situations around the world. And that can be uh, food shortages, just lack of water, lack of protection, family environments, but it can also be in human trafficking uh, situations around the world. So just waking people up that, hey, there's a need. Number two is um, using our networks and our skill sets to make a difference. And this is an example is probably so much better than just trying to put it in that perspective. So 
we were working with a school in Honduras that had 650 children um, down there. So um, we were we were asked they had eighty thousand dollars and that was enough to either pay their their teachers for the year or to pay for the food for the kids. And they reached out to us to see if we could help on that. And they make corn tortillas every day. So we sat back and said, well, you know, how much corn is that? And I said, well, it's train, two train cars worth of corn, uh, two container loads of corn. So I said, well, who, who uses the most corn? So there's Cargill. Well, my brother works for Cargill. So I mm-hmm. call my brother to ask him, uh, he works in personnel, can you ask them if they'd be willing to donate two car, train car loads of corn? Mm-hmm. And he worked it through their system, and they were able to do it. Now, their cost was about $4,000 for the two train car loads. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was going to cost it was going to cost the charity eighty thousand dollars to buy it. Um, the only problem with it is it came in individual pieces, so you had two train cars with individual kernels of, sure. of corn. So one of the people at Cargill says, "You know what? I have a friend that's in a seed packing business. Um, let me see if he'll pack it into fifty pound bags." So he agreed to do that. And so we now had it in 50 pound bags and then somebody that does shipping and logistics for a living, they took over from there, got the FDA inspection, got the container, organized the shipping. And we had a year supply of food uh, sent to Honduras for $7,500 in cost. Oh goodness. And it's just by using our skill sets to make a difference. Similarly, we had a vice president at Schlotsky's look at their kitchen and he went back to the suppliers and asked them to donate an individual piece of equipment. He ended up putting together a million-dollar kitchen uh, for about $65,000 installed um, by everybody just pitching in a little bit of that. So that's the second thing. It's using our finding out what the problems are, using our networks, and it's like, you know, the, the old question, I got a guy. I know somebody that can help with sure. that. And using sure. our networks to make a difference. And then third is we do funding. We come alongside with leadership and funding for charities that are on the front lines that are doing great work where we can double, triple, or quadruple what they're doing, most specifically in the areas of clean water, education, and orphan care, um, uh, computer labs, huge advancements in computer labs. Um, when we first started putting them in, we would put a Chromebook in with an SD card, and somebody came up with a way to create a mobile computing lab using Raspberry Pi that he could put Internet in a box and drop it anywhere in the world and provide first world education uh, in a third world environment um, in three languages. And um, so a lot of it is just coming alongside, finding out the needs, using our skills just to make a difference, funding those things. But a lot of it, quite frankly, is me pointing type A individuals in a direction and a passion and say, go. Yes. Um, the charity is really about highly successful people who have kind of been successful from a financial and a career standpoint, and they're looking for significance. Um, you know, we're in a retail business and we serve a need. But at the end of the day, you have to think about is, is we sell boxes, we sell solutions, we sell stuff to mm-hmm. people at the sure. end of the day. And people can be very successful and it serves a need. But at the end of the day, you're saying, is it really making a difference? And a lot of people come to that crisis, and this is one way that people are getting involved and just using those skill sets to change change lives and family trees, really. Mm-hmm. Um, we have one project where we have a content, continuity of care from three through college and job, um, where we have a, a role in mentoring, helping to participate, et cetera. So people that have never gone to college were actually able to get professional degrees and change their family trees. 
Incredible, Greg. Wow. Some of the examples you've shared with us. We're, we're proud to be a sponsor of your organization and wow, to hear how you're using those donations and connecting the right people to step up when opportunity arises, right? That's what it's all about. Yeah, it's been really nice. Mm-hmm. Switching gears a little bit, Retail ROI Super Saturday is an annual yeah. event hosted the Saturday before the NRF show, the National Retail Federation that you mentioned, otherwise known as the big show. Can you tell us a little bit more about this event and how it helps Retail ROI execute its mission? Right. Yeah. So, you know, I, I mentioned the beginning and the founding of Retail ROI. We came to that crisis and said, hey, we got to raise money. And we looked around the room and said, well, what do we know? And we said, well, we know events. We know who the best speakers are. Um, we know how to get the retailers there for free. So why don't we create an analyst event? Um, we'll, we'll treat it like a ladies night. We'll, we'll invite all the buyers, all the retailers for free. And then we'll charge the sponsors to be a part of that. But instead of doing that as a for-profit event, let's do that as a nonprofit where all that money goes to build schools, computer labs and fund the projects. So, um, essentially that's what, that's what we've done. And, and there's a community that's gotten built out of that. Um, and we enter, and so the only booths we have there are the charities we work with. And then we, provide incentive for those executives to meet those charities, to learn about them, to get involved, et cetera. So we've had people join the boards. We actually have uh, one guy who um, I mentioned he, he did the uh, the kitchen in Honduras. Mm-hmm. He's mm-hmm. now the chairman of the board of a, tra- a charity that's an anti-trafficking charity. Mm-hmm. Um, and he just he got involved and he learned about what the work was and what they were doing and, and joined and met, been a part of that. So um, now he's leading it. So those are the kind of things we hope to foster is, like I said, just make these connections through Super Saturday. It's a funding event. We provide the education that allows the company funds to be used with what's going on. And we provide those access to the buyers. But for us, it's really about connecting those two, the charities that are doing a great work and the executives there that have the skill sets to take them to another level and putting them together. Mm-hmm. Based on your experience, what do you think can be done to make it easier for more businesses and nonprofit organizations to work together to make a greater impact? Yeah, I think a lot of it is is just understanding um, on, on both sides. The nonprofits tend to be very short-sighted in what they're doing. They tend to be trying to figure out how they survive for the next month type of thing. They wear their heart on their sleeve. There's not as much organization. Uh, when you get to the really efficient ones, um, they're just they're just not designed the same way to think as most business people are. Uh, and so we've had people come in and say, hey, what's your three to five year plan? Let me help you build that out and say, what are your dreams? OK, let's start with that. Now, how do we get back to to where what do we need to do today to get to that dream in three to five years? Um, the same side is. The business people tend to put on a pedestal the charity workers who are giving up so much of their own time and energies for low incomes to do this work. Um, I always joke, I, I get to work with like 50 Mother Teresas every day. I mean, who's people whose stories will just blow your mind. Um, but we tend to put them on a pedestal there and think we can't be a part of that or we can't really add to that. And that's where that's where the companies are wrong. Um, just getting involved a little bit. Uh, we've had several software companies who have said, you know what, my my uh, 
my country and my charity is going to be Haiti, and I'm going to rally my country, my company around the cause of working on these projects in Haiti. And then they're able to literally go in and start to transform a community because they've got focused effort from their company to do that. We've got another company right now that's doing Jamaica, just getting started uh, with that. We've got another one that's adopting uh, the project we have in Honduras. And so when when the companies and there's a leader that comes in and says, you know what, we're willing to put funds, but we're also willing to maybe cover travel costs for somebody to go down. We have some companies, they um, not only do, will they allow their people to go um, as part of the charity outreach and some, you know, like they get paid, the, the charity gets paid for every hour that the worker donates as well. So all of those things add up to transform on a project by project basis uh, for these uh, individual things. Um, I think where the charities also make a big mistake is they tend to have a, when they look at companies, they look at it as a sponsorship for a single event. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, hey, we're having our annual gala. Will you, you know, sponsor the food or will you sponsor a table? And they're thinking about a short term relationship um, there. And but they're not thinking about it long term um, in terms of how can this relationship over time uh, be so much deeper for everybody involved. And and, and I think they they don't um, understand how beneficial it can be to the company from a PR perspective, but also from a company culture perspective, if they were to come around a particular charity project like that. So they underestimate that piece. So in a lot of ways, they're speaking different languages, but they're they're after the same goal. And, and there's a little apprehension because each puts the other one on a pedestal. And my job is hopefully to break down some of those things and, and make those introductions and then just let it go. Because once those walls, those initial walls are broken down, it's magical. Mm-hmm. Um, when we do our trips together every every evening, we have a brainstorming session and it's it's like you brought a team in from McKinsey to to work on that particular project there is you've got people from all different backgrounds that have different uh, business leadership skill sets that just brainstorm on the issues that are on the ground. And it's really it's really powerful when that happens. I bet. What advice would you give individuals who want to infuse their philanthropic spirit into some aspect of their career, much like you have with Retail ROI and IHL Group? Yeah, I think a lot of times it's 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 where you have a passion already mm-hmm. and there are going to be charities that are there um, that are doing the work. Uh, a lot of times, uh, though, it's trying to, you know, I'm, I'm not quite sure where it is. And that's kind of where organizations like ours come into uh, existence is where we can introduce people to 10 charities at once and and see which which one of those kind of hit your passion buckets there. Um and and I, I would say if at all possible, if there's something that you're interested in, try to go on a trip or get involved with them. Um, the biggest thing is people when people go on our trips, they go on the first time. They have no idea what they're going to add to the trip. Um, mm-hmm. But as business people, there are things we do every day that we take for granted that um, that just are transforming to a charity on the ground there because they just don't know how to do certain things. So I'll, I'll give you an example. So mm-hmm. um, I took a gentleman who was a concrete uh, contractor from uh, from here to uh, Liberia. Mm-hmm. And the main reason we were bringing him over there is to look at some compressed earth uh, 
blocks and stuff to build homes. We got there, we found out that wasn't really the, uh, the right solution. So he was wondering what he could do. Well, we're just walking around the property and, um, they had a wall that was built around the property, but when the rains came, it would fall down. Mm-hmm. And he just looked at it and he said, you know what? All you got to do is every third block turn sideways at the base. Make sure you've got your rebar going through there so you can't, nobody can sneak through, but it takes the pressure off the wall so the water flows right through. Hmm. You know, that, that was one of those things that he just looked at and just, he didn't even think about it. It was, it was so easy and so simple for them. But they've been rebuilding this wall every year because the rains come and, and knock it down. So that's just a simple example of one thing. But, you know, when you think of things from an IT perspective, from a supply chain perspective, like with Zebra, where your expertise is, um, from an organization and how you think through things like, uh, you know, you deal with UPC codes and SKU and color and things that a retail environment, that just naturally based organizational structure kind of thought process mm-hmm. is something that really doesn't exist in most charities, um, uh, you know, the smaller ones. Um, sure. now, it certainly happens with the, you know, the big boys that are multi-millions and billion dollar charities. They have that kind of skill sets. But when you're really talking about the efficient ones where 90% of the money that comes in goes right back out, those people tend not to have those skill sets. And we take it for granted. And you think you got nothing to add, but there's, by the time you're done, there's 30 or 40 action items you have. When you get back between, oh, I can provide this thing or I know of somebody that can help with this, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, so get involved, learn um, and just watch it and then just become more involved and, and become a part of it there because you just realize, hey, I've got a lot to be able to give to this charity to be able to help. Wonderful. That's great advice. Are there certain experiences you've had with retail ROI that have made combining your professional career with philanthropy so rewarding? I'm curious, what are those moments that have forever changed your way of thinking? It's the friendship. It's the stories. Every, every, uh, every trip has a a story um, of something, you know, that is crazy. Um, You know, it, it, those those memories and those relationships that are bond, you know, with retail ROI, when we do a trip, it doesn't matter whether or not, um, you know, you have to go through a gatekeeper anymore if you're a vendor to sell to somebody. If you've gone through the jungles for three days, you can skip the gatekeeper and get right to that person. But the the friendships and the relationships that have been built because of that, I think the other thing that uh, it was when our teens get involved, when we take our kids on these trips. Uh, nothing. I think the most satisfying thing for me is when I see my friends and colleagues watch their kids be pass out the Tom shoes at the actual final location and give these kids their first pair of shoes and, and to watch the parents beam about their kids doing that um, when up to that point they've only bought the extra pair of shoes at the local sure. mall. Um, that light bulb goes on, that joy that you see there, that pride that happens, that, that's actually the most rewarding thing for me, even more than helping the kids, uh, themselves through that. So that has been tremendously rewarding. I mean, the fact that we've been able to help a quarter million kids so far, um, and really it hasn't been, it's only been about $4 million that we've been able to raise, 
but it's because of those networks and those skill sets and, and, and the people that we've been able to partner with, um, that that becomes a multiplying factor to help, to help people. Uh, that's been the most proud and rewarding part. Mm, wonderful. Yeah, I have the pleasure of leading both PR and philanthropy for Zebra, and I can relate to so much of what you're saying, right? Bringing those yes. personal passions into what you do every day and the rewards you see by giving back. It's just, it's just amazing that we. And have it's really that. funny because the the you, you started off with that question asking about the business and the and the charity stuff. Mm-hmm. Every conversation includes both. Mm-hmm. Um, exactly. Now with what we do, and and that's that's the part that's so rewarding, um, and so uh, yeah, it's been it's been a great joy. It's draining at times, you know. It's three steps forward, you know, two steps back, at sometimes, and and we like to joke in orphan care that can be a gut punch on that step back, um, but uh, it's really been a joy uh, to do and and added a lot of fulfillment to what I do as a day job because my day job becomes a funder for having the time to be able to do the charity work. Absolutely. Greg, before I let you go, I'd like to look behind the stripes as we do with all of our guests. So do you have any other personal passions? What do you enjoy doing when you have a few free moments to yourself? Yeah, so two uh, personal passions. I'm I'm a huge college football fan, Um, just huge. I like to go to games, watch games, et cetera. The other one is photography. I'm, uh, I started off taking pictures of my kids and their football teams and stuff, uh, because I saw parents taking pictures, but we never saw them. Right. Um, <laughs> and I started getting involved with that. And, and of course, then that becomes a, a real, uh, suck of funds. And next thing you know, you're, you're several thousand dollars in, but you finally get to the point where it's like, aha, I've got it. I feel like the guy that can, you know, go to the, the Rams or the Bears game and take the pictures from the sidelines. And uh, so I do I do a lot of that, uh, everything from concerts to our church to uh, sporting events uh, as well. And that's a real passion. Mm, wonderful. Well, Greg, thank you again for speaking with us today. It's truly inspiring to see how you have combined your retail expertise and your passion for philanthropy to create an organization that helps countless children globally. I'm hopeful more people will encourage their employees to engage with the nonprofit causes they're passionate about to make our world a better place. And thank you to our audience for tuning in. You can learn more about Zebra's mission of doing well by doing good by visiting the Your Edge blog. I'm Therese Van Ryn signing off until next time.